Hi, I'm Alex, and this is Below the Radar, a Knowledge Democracy podcast. Below the Radar is created by SFU's Fan City Office of Community Engagement and is recorded on the territories of Musqueam, Squamish, and Salatooth peoples. Longtime visual artist and community treasure Gwen Boyle joins Amjo Hall to recount some of the sights and sounds of growing up in Vancouver's Chinatown. She tells stories from a lifetime of making art from Chinatown to the Arctic Circle and back. Gwen also shares the inspiration behind her well-known piece, Abacus, or Swamp Fan an interactive sculpture symbolic of early Chinatown merchants. I hope you enjoy our conversation with Gwen. Hi there, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Below the Radar. Really excited to be speaking with Gwen Boyle, who's been a longtime artist in Vancouver. Uh, Welcome, Gwen. Hi. Hi. I just thought for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, I, of course, have seen uh, your work based in Chinatown, but you, of course, uh, grew up there as well. And I know that your grandfather was a jeweler and a goldsmith, Dong Jam Lung, uh, who maintained a shop there, a place that you spent a lot of uh, time in. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your time that you spent living in and being in Chinatown. Yes, I grew up in Chinatown. I did, wasn't born there. I don't know where was I born. I'm, I wasn't born there. When I was about maybe three or four, I was sort of let loose in Chinatown. My grandfather had this jewelry store there. We lived down there above the jewelry store. And as a small child, I remember I can hear the hammer hammering away when he hammers gold. And the sound of his abacus which is what the Chinese people use for calculating money that they take in, the sound of clicking beads, wooden mm-hmm. beads. Mm-hmm. That's always the sound that I grew up with, the sound of the clicking bead. Now regarded as similar to a um, computer. Shops now use computers to add up the mm-hmm. beads. Well, my grandfather did that with his wooden abacus, which was a Chinese sort of same idea of calculation. Mm-hmm. And that was a familiar sound, the sound of him hammering gold, mm-hmm. the wishing sound of gas, and the uh, the usual mechanical sounds you hear on the goldsmith when they're hammering gold, pulling gold leads in the wire, making chains and things like that. And that was all very familiar sounds for me. Mm-hmm. So when I grew up as a little older, I went to art school, and I did painting and then the usual stuff, but I took up a sculpture because that's the same sound, um, mechanical sound that I grew up learning about. Mm-hmm. Sound of hammering, sound of metal work. So I proceeded to study sculpture at mm-hmm. the art school. And um, and I, that must have been a very interesting time. Um, you studied in the 1970s at the Vancouver School of Art, the predecessor to Emily Carr. And that was a really interesting, vibrant time in the Vancouver art scene. I'm wondering if you could sort of describe uh, the time that you were going to school and kind of what was happening in Vancouver during that time in terms of art. Well, I have to confess that when I went to art school, they concentrated more on the visual arts, and therefore my experience there was looking at visual art and looking at painters mm-hmm. and people work with hand, hand work, you know, 
some of it Chinese oriented, depending on what the teacher there is offering. So it was different than Vancouver Art School in the later time when I was older. Mm -hmm. My time is far too early for any of the 60s to happen. <laughs> My time at art school was primarily to learn about art and painting and things mm -hmm. like that. And then visiting maybe galleries and getting some input from artists in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But as far as as far as the vibrant time of the 60s, yeah. we've gone crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was different at the art school that I went to. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't tell you <laughs> the dynamics and the jumping nature yeah. of the and also in terms of, you know, you've lived in Vancouver for your big part of your life besides being up north. Yes. And I hear, you know, stories from artists like uh, Ken Lum, who talk about his grandfather walking down Hastings Street by the white lunch where his grandfather would spit on the window because of the kind of racism of that time. And um, in terms of your time that you spent growing up in Chinatown, what other things do you remember, both bad and good, during that time? Because it was obviously a very different time in terms of the social landscape of oh, the city. Absolutely. As a child, I would play on the streets a lot. Mm -hmm. That's what I know. I used to have a ball and a bounce off the wall, you know, jump on it and do all kinds of things. And I, I love to wander the street because I was curious about the street. One thing that I do remember, I my job was to go up to the cafe, the Royal Cafe, and buy whipping cream. So I could <laughs> go home for Saturday to have treats Saturday morning. I was my job was to carry a big bowl, run up the street, carry this bowl to the cafe, put my 25 cents down, fill it up with whipping cream, and start running down the block with my bowl of whipping cream. Well, on the street, there are a lot of little old gentlemen just enjoy sitting on the sidewalk and watching the people go by. And they always have their feet stuck out. <laughs> Inevitably, I come running and then Tom falling over the feet, breaking my bowl of whipping cream, Roman running home crying with nothing else to bring home for Saturday. My grandfather, who was a gentleman, a nice man, one of the lead people of the uh, Chinatown, get mm -hmm. got furious. He ran and went up the street and he scolded the old men. How could you treat a small child instead of tumbling with a broken bowl of whipping cream? Well, he gave them a dressing down and he came home and I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just hid in the toilet. <laughs> and he, he, he said to me, well, you shouldn't have been running. You should walk. <laughs> you wouldn't have fallen. I said, okay. Anyway, that, that was the end of my my work to go out and buy whipping cream for Saturday morning. <laughs> so what was the motivation that um, led you to go to art school? Oh, well, I had a daughter who was interested in always drawing and painting, and I had older relatives. They were designers for clothes. So I thought that was kind of fun to do. Besides, she used to paint blank bottles in colorful ink, and she would get money for it. You know, empty jar bottles, empty jam bottles, and she would sell them because they're quite colorful. 
-hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of fun to do. And I, I liked the color. And I used to watch her, and then she showed me how to do it. And I thought, well, that makes a good living and fun. <laughs> that's amazing. You've done a number of, of public works, but one in which uh, people in Vancouver will certainly know is the abacus piece that's called Swan Fan. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how that piece came to be. Well, I was asked to do a commission art, and the place I was offered was near Pender Street. Pender Street was where my grandfather had the jewelry store where I grew up. And then having lived a life of listening to hammers, hammering stone, hammering jade. And I used to watch my grandfather work the jades and melt the gold and see how they turn into objects mm -hmm. and how easy and fun it was when they turn into objects. And when I was a small child, he would say to us, if you can make five one-inch chains, I will give you 10 cents to make 10 inch of gold chain. All you have to do is twist the wire around and around and around till you get a bunch of chains and then you can cut them into little separate chains, join the little chains together, just the way you make a paper chain. Exactly, only you're doing it with gold. And then you join the pieces together with a tiny little bit of gold, melt the gold pieces together, keep joining them together till you get 20 inches of melted chain, then I get 10 cents. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> when she was, you were about seven years old. And what do you think about the piece now when you go back to see it and visit it? Oh, the, the abacus? Yeah. It comes from jade stones from Canada. You know that, up the Arlington Mountain. Mm -hmm. I got jade from uh, a girl who was in our school with me. And she has a she has a machine that carves jade into stones. We got together, and there was a day the stone to make round jade. He would work it in her studio until she could produce sixty round jades, which were almost ten pounds each. And then they get polished, and then I did the process, and I got a whole of them. Um, a friend who's an engineer who had a son who was a physicist and he could produce jade beads for me and I produced the abacus for the people. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I decided to do it right on Pender Street because I like old Pender Street. You you know where that is? Yeah, of course. I actually lived in um Chinatown as well in the Chinese Benevolent Association building, which was predominantly seniors housing, but they had some market rate rental units. So I lived there for a number of years with predominantly seniors in Chinatown, and it was a fantastic time to be there. So I know Pender Street very well. Yeah, it was fascinating, especially as a small child. It, it, it's right near where the bulletin board was on Pender Street. On the bulletin board is the daily news for the Chinese men. Mm -hmm. They used to be a whole crowd of the maybe 20 men standing in the corner trying to read the news. As a small child, I loved going through that crowd of people. Mm -hmm. And then I go through the wall, wall Pender Street. I can hear the music that comes from the window where a lot of the residents practice the yuhu. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. the stone instrument they have. Mm-hmm. Heard it? It's mm-hmm. quite lovely when the women play it. Mm-hmm. But I could hear the music and I'd run through the alleyway. And that's fun to do because it's always kind of dark mm-hmm. and scary. And you're always told not to go through there. But I love going through there and hearing the music. And then mm-hmm. I hear the, the, you know, the, what is that? Um, the game they've done. What do you call it? Do you know it? Uh, which game? The They play... Mejong? Uh, uh, Mejong, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes to tell you how much Chinese I've forgotten. <laughs> I, I've seen some old photos of Brian McBay, who's at 2218 Gallery. His grandfather used to run the Hong Kong Cafe uh-huh. uh, for many years. So Brian showed me some of the old uh, photographs as well. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the work that you did in the North. Well, with the art school, I continued to do public art. And then I I lived up in the Yukon mm-hmm. for a while when I, my husband ran the newspaper there. Mm-hmm. So we lived there for six years, seven years. And it was fascinating because it was, of course, totally different from Chinatown. Mm-hmm. But there were Chinese people there. There were Chinese restaurants there. Mm-hmm. And when I was up the North, I... I became interested in the northern climate. It's so different. It's from BC or... When was this in the 1970s? Yeah, Yeah. 60s. Oh, 60s, okay. Late 60s, 70s, yeah. So I was there and I worked on the yard, worked up there, along with with the newspaper. And then I guess we moved moved out of down there back to Vancouver when, when I got a family. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I became so intrigued with the North living there that I, when I went through art school, I became interested to work in the in the Arctic because when we were working on the Yukon, Yukon is not far from the pole, you know, very close to the North Pole. So eventually, I made my way to the Arctic, to the North Pole, where I got some time working with a geological firm. Mm-hmm. The North Pole is fascinating. It's beautiful. It's nothing like anything I was used to down with so. So anything was new and exciting. And you've, you've done, obviously, you did a lot of work there. And for the past two decades, I read that you've primarily been experimenting with phenomenon of time, motion, uh, yeah. magnet sounds. Um, what are some of the pieces that you've been thinking about doing now or works that you did after the abacus piece? Prior to the abacus, I did a lot of sundial regarding mm-hmm. the earth movement. Mm-hmm. And I did several pieces that, uh, like, like, oh, how do you say it? Like wall pieces, you know, large walls. Then I had a lot of waterfalls complete with I combined that Prince George when we did murals. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's about the history of areas mm-hmm. combined with the the sun movement, things like that in the north area. That is so prominent and important to the area. Mm-hmm. So I became tied with that. And then I, what did I do? It's the usual stuff, murals. People in the country lived in a place what the climate was like, what this history is like, and mm-hmm. what do people do there? How did they live? Mm-hmm. How do they eat? Yeah, everybody. The North is just fascinating. Everyone should go there. 
to the end. Just worth anybody the experience. And how would you characterize your relationship to Chinatown now? Well, I haven't forgotten that. I don't forget it, and it all it all intrigues me when I think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, because people were so different, and as a small child, sort of blind to everything else, adults, everything is new and exciting. You know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but Chinatown was a fascinating place for a child to grow up. You didn't have things that most children used to play. Now, we would think, bounce a ball off the wall and jump on it, spend your time doing that, you know? That's sort of ordinary stuff that kids still do, but nothing is new. Yeah, yeah. Any other stories you'd like to tell from that time growing up in Chinatown? Well, you know, something about it, when I was small, there was nothing new to have somebody come and break the window in your father's shop. And then the next thing you know, the police are there. They're out down in your back door. We would be asleep upstairs. The back door would break in and the police looking through the basement for drugs or something like that. And then they would look for gambling. When I was small, I would walk through glass stuff on the sidewalk. I don't know if you know the glass. Underneath those glass walls, the men would gamble because that's all they can do because they were single men. Mm-hmm. The wives are all in China. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, having a police officer breaking your kitchen door is not surprising. <laughs> all part of it. And then you would say to your mom, well, what are they doing? Well, they're looking for gambling people. <laughs> That's all part of it. It wasn't hard. It yeah. wasn't hard or surprising. It's just their part of living, you know? Mm-hmm. Are there any other um, pieces of artwork that you're working on currently? I worked on several pieces. Uh, I have some plans, which I'm still discussing right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did several works around the city of Vancouver. One of them was quoting. I like doing some quote uh, poems, yeah. carved on stone. For example, I was really interested in the time that salmon ran through the creeks in Vancouver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were you around then? Uh, I wasn't around then, but I've heard about them from other people. And I know that the dancer Karen Jameson did a work related to that a number of years ago in the late 90s. Yeah. yeah. When I was little, we used to be able to walk over fish across the water, you know. It always fascinated me. I said, wasn't that wonderful? And, <laughs> yeah. And then they were all around the street where you are. <laughs> so neat. And I love the idea that water still flows from up the north through here. And the poetry that I read about water and fish and all that in your land was so new to me. As a city person, you know, the world was fascinating. Well, Gwen, we only got through a few of the stories, but you're such a civic treasure. It's been really amazing having you on Below the Radar. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. But you know, there's so much talk on on history now that you'll probably hear it everywhere. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome.
Thank you for tuning in to Below the Radar to hear from our guest, Gwen Boyle. We link to her work in the show notes, and you can follow the link to our website to see some photos Gwen has provided us of her artistic works and early days in Chinatown. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Below the Radar. <laughs>